So Lisa, I cannot count how many podcasts we've had where we've said that we were going to invite a really cool trans guest to talk about transgender concerns in endurance sport because we should not um, try to speak for a community that we don't belong to. And so we talked way too long. It's time for us to literally <laughs> make this happen. Um, so we've just delayed for what, almost a year now. <laughs> and so we finally get to bring someone on. So I'm really excited about today's episode. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I think it's really timely given all of the anti-trans bills that have been passing in the United States, particularly um, against trans girls and women and participating in girls and women's sports. So, you know, advocacy around that issue is critical, I think. So after the break, we will introduce our two guests and we will have some learning. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. All right. Yay. So we have two fabulous guests with us today, Megan and Saxton. So they are both connected to the endurance sports world. And so I will hand it over them to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about your background. Um, hi, I'm Saxton. Um, I, I'm a triathlete. I'm a trans triathlete. Uh, You're 17. Yeah, I'm 17. <laughs> I'm in high school. Um, I like comic books. That's kind of the only thing that can come to That's mind. That's great. That's great. We love it. Hi, I'm uh, I'm Megan. I'm a uh, triathlete, open water swimmer, triathlon coach, um, and uh, I happen to be Saxton's mom. Awesome. And uh, Shona and I know Megan through the Outspoken Summit, as Megan is an outspoken triathlete, um, certainly has lots of fantastic opinions. So hopefully we'll hear a few of those today. <laughs> I'm known for being outspoken and feisty. So <laughs> there you go. Well, we're all about soapboxes. We're all about being feisty. We're all about giving voice. And so I'm just really excited to have both of you here. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to get into into today's conversation is I want to hear more about how we can be allies in endurance sport community. I have a mentor of mine that says all the time that, you know, we kind of throw this ally word around a lot, really not knowing what it means, and even just kind of throwing it around with a little privilege saying, well, I'm an ally to this group, or I'm an ally to that group. When in fact, I just think we should humble ourselves a bit more and try to demonstrate ally characteristics, but I really can't deem myself an ally. I just want to do the best that I can to be one. And so I want to hear from you all, what can we do to be better allies? Because we are members of the endurance sport community. We want everyone to feel included and feel this really high sense of belonging. So if you had like this magic wand to wave to tell us do better y'all, what, what would that be? Oh man, that, that's a really good question. Um... Oh God, um, I have to say that when an athlete or when a trans athlete is trying to like kind of talk about something that they find troubling within the, the endurance sport community, I'd say just listen to them. Don't try and like talk over them or don't try and interrupt them in any type of way. Just listen to them fully and 
try and get an understanding of where they're coming from with it. And that's, that's kind of like the, the least you could do when it comes to it. Yeah. So bottom line, listen. Um, and then what about um, action steps, right? I know that some people are very um, interested in taking action and wanting to do something. So presumably when um, someone in the sport is listening to a trans athlete about their concerns, it's probably not best for that person to then roll off and act without you know, engaging with the athlete, right? So what kind of recommendations do y'all have for um, actually doing something about inclusion for trans athletes? Talk to, talk to trans athletes about what they think should be done and what they're comfortable with like doing. And more or less just like, if, you, if you're talking to a trans athlete and they're saying like, oh, I don't really wanna like go, like I don't wanna cause a whole thing about it. Just maybe like slowly work your way through it instead of just gun hoeing it and just being like, ah, transphobes. <laughs> You know, when, I, when, I, when you ask the question, I think it's interesting because I think you've already kind of given the answers in previous podcasts and social posts that, that, this, that you two have both posted. So, you know, well-meaning people who want to take action, um, but don't include the community. Like people, you can't make, you can't make good positive change that positively affects that community if that if those people aren't represented at the table. Um, and it doesn't, and it's it's the same with the transgender community. It's the same with non-binary. It's the same with uh, the LGBT. So, it, and it's the same, it's the same with, you know, any other diversity initiative. If those people aren't at the table included in the conversation, mm -hmm. any, any action may be well-meaning, but possibly very misguided. So, yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, you know, I know that when Saxton came out, I, I was really gung-ho to be super supportive and, um, and, and some things were great and other things were maybe a little too much too soon, you know, because I was just like wanting to show how much I, I cared and supported. And so I had to really learn to, to listen more and, um, mm. and do what, what he wanted when he was ready. So, yeah. Yeah. As, like maybe a month after I came out, she was like, we're gonna get you on hormones. We're gonna get you top surgery as soon as possible. And I was like, okay, slow. <laughs> I was like, I was like, like slow that. down. Like, I just said, I don't think I'm a girl. And she was like, oh, when I came out to her, her first thing said out of her mouth was, we're not going to the penis store today. That, that, that's out of context, but that's another story. <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we were in a unit, we were in a clothing store. As loud as I did way better the second time he told me. Let's okay. See. Okay. Well, that's a, that's good, great feedback though, right? Because you're there are many people who so desperately want to be an ally, like Shauna said, and they want to do the right thing and they're tripping over themselves, right? But that could be at a speed that is uncomfortable or inappropriate for the person that they're trying to support, right? So taking a step back and the listening part that you've both mentioned, I think it's simple, but gosh, we're really bad at doing it. You know, like, you know, if we're whatever community we're trying to support, you know, a community we don't belong to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speak less, well, listen more. 
Right. And I'm even thinking about, so Saxton, I've had a number of students. I'm, I'm a professor. I teach in higher education. And so I have college students that come to me and I'm, I'm very grateful and feel blessed that they would even think of feeling comfortable enough to come out to me for any reason. Um, and when they do, <laughs> in the beginning, many years ago, I felt like I needed to say something, like I needed a good script or, you know, what do I say in response, et cetera. And now it's been more of sitting and listening. I usually ask them if it's okay to give them a hug. And I've gotten a hundred percent out of a hundred with that. Some of them have completely wept. Um, others of them have said, okay, great. Now I feel okay enough to go home and tell my parents or go tell someone else. And so I don't even think I said any, like nothing coherent. <laughs> I didn't say anything at all. And I'm wondering if not saying anything is okay, but it sounds like it is if it forces me or people like us to listen more rather than jumping to a quick conclusion. Um, so it's it kind of reminds me, Lisa, of doing diversity to people rather than mm. being accepting of people. It's like, okay, I got a whole plan. This is what we're gonna do, Saxton, let's do it. And it's like, eh, even though that's my type A, go get it personality, I have to rein it in. And so I appreciate what you're saying about listening first, doing much later after we get green lights <laughs> to do so. It's, you, you always wanna get consent in any type of case with anybody, whether you're gonna do anything. And no, ma no matter what they say, like if they're not saying like, okay, go ahead and do this, just wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, that's so, it's profound in its simplicity, right? <laughs> Um, so I'm curious, thinking about allyship, but taking it kind of beyond the individual, um, whether that's a friend or, you know, someone you're in a race with or in, in a workplace, how, um, what's your experience both been with the national governing bodies? So in your case, it would be USA Triathlon, presumably. Um, how have you found the experience in working with them, um, to help them be more inclusive and to make sure that you have a fantastic race experience? Um, well, they were really good with my name change when I, when I first came out and I was getting everything kind of like set up and we couldn't legally change my name yet, um, but USAT was really quick with it and like I got a new card really like fast and then they changed uh, the gender marker on it really, really fast. And so that was just really great. They were amazing with it. And I ended up competing in the boy, in the, in the boys. Um, the male high school championships. Yeah. yeah. Against a bunch of 18 year olds when I was 14 pre-T. So, um, so I, one of the things that uh, moms of trans kids should know is that uh, there, I think I've read a bunch of articles about how moms uh, tend to become um, unwitting trans, like advocates um, and legal experts because you're advocating for your child who can't legally do these things on their own, like change their name, change their passport, change their birth certificate. And every single thing is a fight. Every, every single thing, even in states where laws have been passed to make it easy or to protect the, the ch child, um, it's, still, it's still really hard. So, um, and like, there's a lot of horror stories. Uh, that I even have about us, you know, for example, birth certificates and passports where federal laws versus state laws had us in these no man's lands where it took years to get that stuff changed. Um, we were very lucky because 
we moved to San Francisco about a year before Saxton um, told us. Um, and uh, yeah, it was actually, it was not even a whole year. It was a couple months. Um, and it wasn't a huge surprise, but um, we were really lucky that we lived here because, um, <laughs> because SFUSD was really, really helpful and supportive and changed his school records even before it, all the legal changes happened and then locked, kept, kept the originals, um, but locked it, locked the record so only we could see it. And Actually, no, they made one mistake, but, but for the most part it was, in, they did it in one day. Um, yeah. So they did, they did stumble and make one mistake in the past couple of years, but for the most part they did that. And then the one thing I wanted to call about the national governing bodies is our position of privilege in this because to call it out because it is really, really different to be a, a young transgender woman versus a young transgender man. Yeah. Um, you know, and Saxon, I think you're, is keenly aware that he went from being a 14 year old uh, young white woman to being a 14 year old young white man, at least in other people's eyes, he was always a man, but, um, and, and that, that, that was far easier um, in terms mm. of the national governing body and sport than if he had been um, a, a male to female athlete. Yeah. Um, we didn't right. have to get, uh, you know, there were no um, hormone tests that we had to do or things like that for him to be able to compete. And so we were really very fortunate. Yeah. And that didn't mean it was easy for him to compete. Right. Um, especially emotionally, I think. Um, and we learned that um, it was, it was, uh, was a, it was a very emotional experience and it was really mixed in terms of, um, I, well, you should tell it more than I should, but. There was, there was a lot of dysphoria that kind of played into when I was racing and kind of how I felt racing. And so that, that really kind of changed. Um, it, it really changed racing for me in general when I started to just being like, oh, like that's why this has been making me uncomfortable or like, oh, I don't really like it when, when I have to wear the, the skin tight suit while I'm biking. So I'll wear like double layers. And then when I'm running, I'll wear double layers too. And I just get really tired because I'm sweating like a pig. <laughs> so. yeah. It was a hundred degrees the day, the, the day he raced for his first male race. It was really hot. Um, it was really competitive. Um, and I was wearing like double layers over my suit and I didn't really drink a lot of water. But there were snow cones. They were, and then I said, oh, yeah. Mm. That's a thank you for sharing that because I'm thinking about, you know, it sounds like the administrative process at USA Triathlon was fairly smooth and also in the school district. Um, but that's not the end of it, right? Like there are these other components um, for trans athletes, particularly maybe that very first race where they're competing in the gender with which they identify and what that might feel like and having support people around right to either debrief that or cheer you on it sounds like that's really important yeah none of none of the other athletes really kind of like knew or like I didn't tell anybody um and she was like, one, like her my sister and my stepdad were the only people who kind of I guess they knew and I didn't know anybody there from past races um I've actually run into a few people at different races who have just been like oh you're in the male category now and I'm like yeah and but so yeah, and but there they were just nobody really knew. It was great. 
one guy I think kind of suspected it when we were at the pool, like right before we were about to jump in, but he didn't really say anything. He actually, he actually stuck with me um, a little bit on the, on the bike and the run occasionally before he passed me, of course. <laughs> um, but he was, he was really great. And afterwards, afterwards, he kind of was just like, like, good job, man. Like he kept emphasizing, like, he, oh. man, like, dude and all of that and like guy and I was like I was like thank you thank you very much for that <laughs> did that that felt validating or it felt too much it felt validating it was a little funny I was kind of like thank you for the support like thank you thank you I thank you and then it was kind of like he's trying that's nice Right. Right. Yeah. I was wondering, going back to our earlier conversation of the over-enthusiastic person that wants to be an ally and just goes way over the top, but <laughs> um, it's certainly, well, I mean, generationally, right? Folks who are your age or younger have grown up in a completely different environment. That's not to say it's easy. Of course, I don't mean to imply that, but for people, um, your mom's age, our age, right? It's just a, there's a, a different um, willingness, <laughs> to understand gender as a, not a binary and a more fluid um, category, right? It's not this, it's not this rigid structured piece. And Megan, I think you have some perspectives on uh, gender, right? Gender generally. Um, that's a pretty broad part of the question. Did you want to narrow it down? Cause I'm, I'm, I was, I was giving you the floor to uh, your feminist soapbox, but gen gender and sport. How about that? How about you share some thoughts around um, the fact that sport is so rigidly stuck in a binary? Well, I, I you know, I, I think about this. Oh, I think about this a lot and, and, you know, and we, we talk about it a lot and I also talk about it in terms of other trans athletes in terms of non-binary athletes. And when we talk about being, you know, more inclusive and diverse, I absolutely <laughs> include, you know, I, I think one of the things is we get into forums and people are talking about being more diverse and inclusive. And then you bring up trans athletes or non-binary athletes, like, it's like, well, that's too hard. We just don't even know how to deal with that. And, and like, and, and like pick a side and you've got to do this. And, 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 it, and it's, and it's, and it's actually not that hard. Um, if you think about it, I, I don't like you had asked if I, at one point, if I thought that uh, sport should be gender neutral and I don't, I don't know that we're there yet because first of all, the minute you even talk about trans athletes competing, now there's all these anti anti-trans laws and there's a lot of fear and, and it's, and it's like, Oh, I just, you know, this is in, this is attacking women's sports and that's not what it's doing. I mean, sport has, sport has not been inclusive mm -hmm. and, and sport has not been inclusive to women and it's becoming more inclusive to women, but it's not even there yet. And it's not fair and equal, but equal isn't necessarily even 50, 50 equal is everybody. And we have, I think that if we're not there yet, we need to be open and be thinking about where we're going because, um, because it's coming, whether we like it or not. If you look at, um, I think if you're a race director and you're not asking people their pronouns, and if you're a race director and you're not even considering offering a non-gendered category, that is an athlete's choice, not mandated. I think you're, I think you should, you should be thinking about it because it's the wave of the future. I mean, 
I don't believe that trans athletes should have their own category. Absolutely not. But I also know that non-binary athletes may want to race in one gender or another or not at all. And they just want to race. And I think that if we look at gravel and cycle cross racing, um, they're paving, pun intended, the, but the, they're paving the way because they, um, you know, I, I, I get a little nervous when it's like, oh, there's this new category that's not male or female. And I get a little nervous because it's like, oh, then we'll just push people there. And that's, it can't mm. be, but, it, but if, if athletes want to race in a different category, and, and it's gender neutral. I absolutely think that's a brilliant idea and supportive. And I think it's it's where we can and should go because it it takes that out of it, you know? And I think if, if triathlon doesn't think about it and start and start thinking about it, I mean, you mentioned our age group versus their age group. And our kids, our kids most of our kids get this. Not everybody, but our kids get this. Our kids right, right. get gender in a very different way than we than than we were prescribed, and if we don't adapt and change, um, they there won't be kids that age. Like our sport will sort of become a dinosaur because because I think that Saxton's um, yeah. I think Saxton's generation and the generations younger than him will. They'll, they'll pursue other sports where they feel that they are more welcome, they're included, then that they can really truly be themselves and that they can compete on a level playing field. So. That's such a great point that triathlon or other endurance sports will essentially be a dinosaur, right? I, I sure hope not because it's a sport I love, right? But yeah. if it, but I think any sport that maintains such a rid, like, I think a lot of people are shoring up to protect things and are for, are pr to protect women's sports, to protect this sport or that sport. And, um, and it's not protecting it. It's actually making it, it's, it's putting a moat around the castle that doesn't have electricity and plumbing. You know, it's not modern. It's, it's not going to, you're not going to be able to exist in there. If you, if you shore up your walls, you really need to find a way to make it, open and welcoming and, uh, or, or you will, it, you know, I sure hope, but I sure hope that triathlon is not a dinosaur because I have a few more years in left in me. I hope. And you too. <laughs> well, I, I keep joking that I, I will eventually go to Kona, even if I'm 90, I will eventually race in Kona. But my whole point is we want to stay on the cutting edge of the sport so that we can all see our sport last just as long as we or our bodies do. <laughs> so, you know, in when I'm 80 or 90, hopefully I will see Saxton there if you so choose. I, I want us to be there. And so I think it's interesting, you know, just to think about that dinosaur piece, definitely. Um, I'm also wondering too, you know, when it comes to this work, Lisa and I always kind of put our armor on to get ready for the resistors, right? The people that, you know, they're going to give every single, uh, what I call PLE, every perfectly logical explanation why something wouldn't work, shouldn't work, why it's going to be a problem with it. Well, what if someone says that they're one thing, but they're really another because they want the competitive advantage, et cetera. How do y'all respond to the people that are resistant? Because we know they're out there. Hopefully none of them are listeners of this podcast, but let's, let's give them a rationale as to why we should um, think through these really creative, innovative, and many of them easy ways. 
to make triathlon more inclusive? What would you say to a resistor? Um, well, I'd personally say like, yeah, totally. I went through surgery and hormones and coming out to all of my friends and family just so I can race in the male division where I kind of have a bit of a disadvantage because I am smaller and don't really have that much muscle mass compared to the 18 year old guys that I race against. And yeah, and trans women go through the exact same thing where they go higher up in the murder statistics just because they are who they are, just so they can race with women and get medals because that's totally worth it. And have to take hormones that decrease their performance. Yeah. In order to be able to compete. And they lose muscle mass. Yes. And they will go through like mood swings that they don't even know are happening sometimes. It's very scary for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I would say um, similarly, you know, when you, it's, it's about, it's a, it's also about, it's about listening and listening to those perfectly logical answers. And then, um, you know, it's once again, it's like you have to gauge who you're talking to and if they're willing to have a conversation and willing to learn, like, do they want to listen and learn? And that's when it's, um, that's when it's good to engage in conversation. And I think that I, I know even some professional athletes who I've had this conversation with who initially were like, I'm not sure how I feel because this is my livelihood and have been able, have been able over time to share things with them um, and statistics and reality and now have them very happily. And something I'm really proud of is like, they're now sharing stories and sharing trans stories and trans and support for trans athletes where a year ago in an interview, they were not sure. And that's, those are the conversations worth having because here's the thing, trans athletes, I think this year we're gonna see at, at the Olympics, we're going, we're going to see some of our first out openly trans athletes competing and it's going to be really interesting. Um, but keep in mind, the IOC has had trans policy, has had policies about transgender athletes participating for almost 25 years. And the number of trans athletes who have stolen medals or you know, who, are, who are pretending to be trans or stolen medals or whatever is, is literally zero. The number of college scholarships that, like Saxon said, that, that um, males who are pretending to be females have stolen from female athletes is also zero. So it's, it's creating problems that don't exist and miseducation um, to scare people and, and to have them sort of shore up and protect what they think are things are being attacked. And as often happens, it's, uh, it's generally people from places of privilege that are spreading misinformation and causing people who are, who don't feel like they're in a position of privilege to kind of try to hold on the, to the few privileges that they have. Um, and I, I, I also think that, um, Transphobia, especially in sport, is rooted very deeply in misogyny. Um, it's yes, it's yeah. I can't compete. Like like men are going to come and take women. Like it, it's a million men being, and it's it. There are women who are very concerned about this, um, who I think, to me, are are buying the hype. But um, but um, it, it generally is men who are suddenly protecting women's sports who have never done a damn thing for women's sports ever. Right. Yeah. And telling me I need, and telling me in their white knight 
suits that I need to be protected because I'm weak and inferior. And, you know, I'm a middle tobacco packer, but I'm competing against myself. And I, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel intimidated or scared to compete against men. And I don't think, you know, female athletes should either. And I think as, as you've seen with Title IX, the gap between women's performance is, is closing between men's and women's performance. And if you look at ultra runners and ultra distances, women are outperforming men all the time. And maybe yeah, we yeah. That, that we're different and we have different strengths and weaknesses and we're not less than. And I, I just, I get so fed up with that protection that people think we need, so. Well, I'm, I'm waiting to see it. We, we've seen it happen or get close to happening um, when it was at Ironman World Championships, but in other races as well, where uh, even the photography or the videography is not set up for women's speed. <laughs> so the fact that, oh, we're anticipating because the women's pack started an hour and a half later that, oh no, that woman on that bike might catch up with that guy. So get your cameras ready, people because yeah. she's on the way, you know? And so I just think it's interesting how it's embedded in the entire system. Um, but I, I wanted to go back what you, to what you said before. You know, I think it's really important for us to not feed into what I call fiction narratives where people just create this whole story with no facts at all. No one's stolen any medals from anyone. And for us and for listeners to this podcast, we really want to prepare people to interrupt those fiction narratives. It's just simply not true. The data doesn't support it. Professional organizations don't support it. Our membership organizations don't support it. It is pure myth busting out here. Like truly people are walking around with these myths that you're bringing up here. And, and, and you gotta remember though, that like I said, it's like having the conversations with the people that are open and willing to listen because I've had that myth busting conversation with athletes who are like, well, Ironman should do this or USAT should do that. Or, and it's like, yeah, they, they actually have, they have, they have policies and they've done a lot of work on this and they followed the U IOC recommendation. Um, and, and that was based on science and still people are like, yeah, but Ironman needs to do something. And it's like, did you just miss that entire conversation that I just said that they, they've been following the science, they've been working with the IOC, and that they've had policies for 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. so they are doing something. Um, and you're, and, and, and that, so, yeah. And, and I just, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I like, I like the fiction narrative topic because, um, and then you kind of figure out, oh, but you're a fan of fiction, so I'm not going to win here. So a lot of people don't really use Google as much as they should when doing their own research on kind of just everything that relates to trans athletes. Mm. They think that TikTok and well, I guess every social media app other than Google is a very viable source. Yeah. I mean, do your own research, right? Cause that's the thing we've talked about a lot is that, um, people who have a privileged identity. So if that's a white person, right, they shouldn't be relying on communities of color to educate them. And so a cisgender person. So I don't think we gave that definition actually, but cisgender is someone whose um, gender identity matches the um, gender that they were assigned at birth. And, um, you know, they don't, um, I've lost my train of thought after going into that definition. <laughs> what was I going to say? <laughs> 
it's it's late on the east coast (laughs) i (laughs) I don't really have an excuse i don't really have an excuse um so okay well maybe that thought will come back to me but um I appreciate what I do want to say is I appreciate your um, both of you identifying kind of that misogyny and sexism that underscores so much of transphobia that um, trans athletes experience, right? This um, rigid belief that if someone is assigned female, they are therefore a woman, they are therefore heterosexual, right? And they therefore behave in this way and behaving in this way is weaker, weaker than men and thus trans women have an unfair advantage. Um, It's all rooted in that. So coming back to systems, coming back to systems. (laughs) So, okay. I think we should wrap up, but I don't want to go without you. I don't want to. I don't (laughs) want to. I have so much more to learn. This is like scratching the surface. (laughs) Yes. Um, I would love to hear from both of you if you feel willing to share. Um, We have a number of parents, um, relatives, close family friends, right, Um, who um, perhaps are struggling or don't know how best to support a young person in their life who um, is coming forward with their true gender identity and and wanting to articulate that, you know, so as a mom, as a son, um, do you have any advice or tips from kind of both of your perspectives about how, how, parents, family members, guardians can be most supportive? Well, I would personally, I would say um, kind of let your kid do their own research on how they identify. Like, don't try and be like, oh, I think like, oh, maybe this like might be a phase or don't, don't say that. Like, even if it is, don't say it because you're just, you're just kind of demeaning how they feel. You need to, you need to just sit back and watch them grow and watch them kind of figure out who they are as a person and that's kind of like the most that you can do is just let them be themselves. Don't try and shove them into a little corner of being like, oh, we're this, we're that, we're this. Like, like if you're going to a family function and they want to wear something, let them wear it. Like, let them express how they, how they feel. Let them use whatever pronouns they want or go by any name that they want when they're out in public. Like, just let them be themselves. Um, I would say it goes back to what we were talking about before about listening. And letting, and I, I love you, you nerd, so much. Um, I'm, I'm a really proud mom. So, um, but so what I will say is, a lot of times as a parent, there's, you know, first of all, I think there's this protective mama bear thing which I have, which now just doesn't um, include my child, but includes all trans kids. I'm pretty protective about all trans kids now, um, but. Um, it's listening and letting them be themselves and figure it out as they figure it out. And it's not, it's not, it's so not about me and about like, like I hear people, I see things where people are talking about like, well, it's hard for me to remember. And it's hard for me to remember the new name. And it's, it's going to be hard for grandma. And it's like, it's actually not that hard and it's not about you. And um, I think that the, the turning points for us were when we first started it was like, okay, all of the research, all of the science, all of the books, all of the, you know, all of the support groups that we can join and learn about and how we can be supportive. And, you know, I think the first things were the stats about suicide in, 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 in kids who 
don't feel heard or recognized or accepted. And, um, and it scared the bejesus out of me. And that's the nice words I can find. But, um, and so it became really important to, um, to find the right words when you don't have them. And, um, and that was really about like, tell me what you need, tell me what to do. And, uh, but don't, but, but no, you don't have to correct me when I get the name wrong and you don't have to, it's not your job to tell to, for me to be better. It's my job for me to be better. And I think it's the same way, just when you were talking about being a good ally, it's the same way in terms of being a good parent. Um, and, and it's, it's, you're a lucky parent when your kids get to teach you every day. So, um, and uh, I think you mentioned, the one thing I wanted to make sure I talked about was um, you mentioned it about the trans legislation happening. Um, there's a lot of anti-trans legislation uh, going on right now. Um, it's pretty disturbing. Um, Florida just had a new anti-trans bill that was signed on the first day of Pride um, month, which is this month. And, um, but I will leave, leave it on a positive in that if you do want to educate yourself about trans youth and sport, I highly recommend a documentary which is now on Hulu called Changing the Game. And it just came out on Hulu this month. So you can go watch it for free. And if you can get through that thing without crying and hugging your kid, I don't know what kind of, I mean, I like, I, I'm a mom, I couldn't watch it without crying and, uh, and wanting to hug every trans kid I've ever met. So um, it's just really moving. And I think that it's a good place to start just to humanize the topic for you. So unless, if this kid isn't cute enough and, and convincing enough to make you want to educate yourself. Oh, super convincing, super convincing. So we already know, uh, Lisa, we have some homework to do. Um, hopefully uh, we will see Saxton soon enough so we can ask for a big old hug um, of thanks for being on our podcast, if you don't mind. Um, but Lisa, I think we got a lot of good information. Um, I think we need to practice our deep listening skills. Sometimes we hear yeah. people, but we're not listening to them. Uh, so I'm really appreciative of how you all just kind of uh, hammered that home to us that, hey, let's, let's sit back. Let's, let's not be too eager here, um, but definitely be open and willing to uh, be led, be led by folks uh, to tell us what they need and what they want in the right timing. So thank you so much uh, for sharing your experience. Um, Lisa, I cannot believe how lucky we were to get both of them on this podcast. How cool is that? Super cool. And I just want to echo Shauna and um, deep gratitude for you sharing a part of yourselves with us today. Um, I hope that uh, our listeners get a ton out of it because I know that I did. And this is a journey. And this was 35 minutes, right? And there's a lot more to discuss and there's a lot more to do. So um, please go out and educate yourselves. Um, please make a difference because it's really important. The Unfazed Podcasts and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their tests include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data. 
they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash triathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.